Been a long time, Stargate Defender. <laughs> Indeed it has, Dave. <laughs> I believe we have a score to settle. This is extra hot, great thing. (laughs) (laughs) For the week of November 10th, 2014, Dave is... I am old man with bad feet, David T. Cole. (laughs) And I'm here with tragic case of mistaken identity, Sarah D. Bunting. Chung chung. And elderly sandwich, Tara Ariano. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back. Are you alright, old man? <laughs> with giggle problems? No. Yeah, hmm, go ahead. Okay, uh, we are continuing with our banked episodes, our timeless gallery. Uh, the subject this time around is the A&E afternoon canon, uh, hearkening back to the glory days of A&E's afternoon rock block mm-hmm. of uh, news radio, Law & Order Classic, and uh, Northern Exposure. And was there another one? I feel was like there, there was show? something after Northern Exposure, but it was something I didn't watch. Like it might have been another crime show. Well, they need another half hour. No, it was two news radios. Oh. They would do two news radios back to back. I think it was like due south, at which time I <laughs> yeah, was out. Something, something like that. Anyway. So we'll be uh, investigating episodes of, obviously, since none of us can remember the other show, <laughs> we will not be nominating any uh, episodes from that for the canon. But the other three, we will be investigating uh, classic episodes of those. Mm-hmm. Dave, please all begin. Right, all right. I chose Northern Exposure. And originally, I was going to pick one of the couple of episodes where uh, Chris trebuchets something into the lake, including a grand piano and uh, no, a player piano and uh, his friend. Who's sure. in a coffin? Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> normal I, stuff. Yeah, sure. And which is, by the way, the way I want to go. Just so we know, this is consider this a part of my living will, <laughs> which is I do want to be catapulted into a uh, remote, remote northern lake. Mm. I think that would be swell. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the episode called Sicily, which is uh, one of their concept episodes. This is you may remember a flashback episode. It starts where an, an old man comes to town and is uh, run over by Joel Fleshman, <laughs> uh, runs over his foot, and then he uh, takes him inside his house to uh, to mend it, and uh, the old man gets to talking, and uh, he starts laying out, uh, which is basically sort of the origin slash uh, mythology behind the founding of the town. It's not quite history. It's a little bit more than myth. It's somewhere in between, it's, and uh, for that reason, I quite enjoyed this episode. So uh, here's the old man starting it off. Sicily wasn't always a cultural mecca. No, no. In fact, it wasn't always Sicily. It was a place so foul, squalid, and uncivilized, it didn't even merit a name. Back then, the town and myself were going in the same direction. Nowhere. Folks said my parents were Danish, but I was orphaned while still an infant and raised by wolves. Understandably, I was lacking in social skills. As a dysfunctional wolf child, I was scorned <laughs> by Indians and white folk alike. 
So we've already set sort of the tone, you know, where uh, it's it's sort of a fantastical retelling of the origin of the town of Sicily. And uh, it kind of has a bit of Roman, the, you know, the city of Rome and the being raised by wolves. Um, so I think it uh, does a good job in about 30 seconds of uh, letting you know what you're in for as the episode progresses. Uh, everybody in this episode sort of plays a character that is somewhat connected or somewhat akin to the character they usually play on the TV show. So they're sort of in a frontier version of the town. And uh, uh, Maurice is now uh, Mace, and he is sort of an outlaw who runs the city, much as Maurice sort of runs the city, but by different means in the present day. And um, Mace's hired hand is played by Kit, who is Chris, which is kind of funny because he's a hired hand, but he still has... um, retains his, Chris's uh, idiosyncrasies, as you'll hear in this <laughs> next uh, next clip. I don't like it when people bluff me. It makes me question my perception of reality. <laughs> That's him playing a poker game in the saloon. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Ned, who is our old man telling the, he's the narrator telling the story, uh, sets up the lead players in the uh, town's creation story. Let me tell you something, young man. One person can have a profound effect on another. And two people, well, two people can work miracles. They can change a whole town. They can change the world. It was only a few days after Mason and his boys lit out for the Yukon that I saw what I thought was an apparition. A phantom carriage pulled by an invisible horse was coming toward me. It was, I later learned, an automobile the first that had ever been seen in these parts. And out of this remarkable vehicle stepped an equally remarkable woman, Rosalind. I knew from the moment she lifted her goggles and I saw the look of resolve in her eyes that here was a woman who was twice the man I'd ever be. It was then I first set eyes on Rosalind's companion, Sicily. And it was like the unveiling of Botticelli's Venus. I had never before, nor have I since, seen anyone or anything as beautiful. So Rosalind is sort of a take charge uh, character, uh, sort of like an Amelia Earhart looking. She's a tough lesbian. Oh, Tara. (laughs) Well. Let the cat out of the bag. Um, and um, She's trying to paint a picture. They, (laughs) (laughs) Rosalind and Cicely... uh, Take an interest in improving the uh, state of the town. No one benefits more from this than uh, good old wolf child Ned. Through uh, tutoring, he becomes uh, less a wild man and uh, more a functional member of society. Uh, Rosalind's interests are kind of A to Z in improving the town and kind of making it a better place. Uh, As we will see in this uh, scene, which takes place at the saloon, one of the uh, local failed missionary ladies is uh, trying to sing a hymn to the bar with little success, and she's drowned out by one of the uh, drunk patrons, which you hear the end of, and then this happens. Chandler's wife in bed, and with her was a man of quite considerable size, and they were doing the knock, knock, knock. Right before my eyes! <laughs> I prefer the lady song. You must be new in town, honey. 
I despise the tyranny of the strong over the weak. I think people who abuse power are nothing more than cowards. Why don't you sit down before you get hurt? Continue. <laughs> there let his way appear Steps unto heaven All that thou sendeth me In mercy given I think you all know the words. Angels do beckon me Nearer my God to thee I knew then and there things were going to be different. And uh, Ned continues his tutoring um, by Sicily and uh, quickly falls in love with her and decides that the moment is right to uh, let her know something, but then a uh, quite open secret is revealed. Ned, that was beautiful. I'm so proud of you. I looked up into her beaming face and I knew the moment had arrived. Miss Sicily... The thing, the thing is, Miss Cicely. Yes, Ned. The thing is, I love you. I see. I'm sorry. It's all right. I, I know I'm not good enough for you. You're a very cultured lady, and I, I, I'm just an ignorant primitive. No, Ned. Don't ever say such things about yourself. You're a fine young man with a noble spirit. It isn't you, Ned. That isn't it. My heart belongs to Rosalind. And it always will. Ba -ba -ba. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the town is definitely prospering, prospering, prospering under its uh, new influence. And um, <laughs> this happens, which uh, is uh, the weirdest part of the episode and uh, one of the best. Word was out to the world literati, and it was that September that Franz Kafka came to town. <laughs> Kafka? Franz Kafka, the writer? Spent the happiest months of his life in this town. The Franz Kafka. Not, not a Franz Kafka. Franz Kafka, the writer, was here. He and Rosalind had met over Linzer Tort in a Viennese coffee shop and become fast friends. All right, so this sets us up for Rob Moreau's amazing ham sandwich of a... <laughs> Austrian, <laughs> Czechoslovakian. I don't know what the hell's going on with his accent, but here he is uh, as we uh, see the uh, genesis of one of his stories as he sits down in the saloon and talks with uh, people there. I envision a story about a man who awakens to discover he has undergone a profound <laughs> physical change. Uh, a metamorphosis. Yeah. Yeah, uh, metamorphosa. Uh, metamorphosa. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 um, so um, uh, Ned is uh, given an opportunity to read at Poetry Night as the uh, saloon's entertainment changes. And uh, the town, but as the uh, town basks in its new uh, creativity, its notoriety, its prosperity, uh, trouble is on the horizon, as you can hear in the Sicily's cough at the end of this clip. Uh, plus the news that Mace is com uh, coming back to town to reestablish his dominance. I have an idea. Oops. Um, oh, one. Sorry. Pause, 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 pause. That moment, I felt something I had never experienced before. Pride. 
It wasn't because I had suddenly become the toast of our cafe society. No, it was seeing the look on Cicely's face. I was her creation, and that she was pleased filled me with happiness. Kafka and Mary, Abe and Sally, me and the muse of poetry. Life seemed full of promise, but we were deceived. Stars, you know, burn their brightest just before they disappear forever. So Cicely's uh, getting sick and Mace is coming back to town. So they hold the town meeting. And uh, my favorite little part of it is where the uh, meek missionary lady who we uh, heard singing in the saloon a couple clips ago uh, now stands up and shouts. I have an idea. Um, in the Bible, Jail invited Cicera to her tent and then nailed his head to the ground with a tent spike. Well... <laughs> Why don't we do something like that? <laughs> <laughs> a good idea is a good idea. I agree. Uh, finally, there's the big showdown between uh, Mace and his hired hand, Kit, and Love. Cicely and Rosalind and the rest of the town who's now rallied behind them. I want that woman, and I want this town, and I want them now. Mr. Mowbray. We understand that you have this need to hurt people. Do you want to stick to the subject there, lady? Somebody must have treated you very badly when you were a child. What in the hell are you hands squawking about? I think what the ladies are saying, Mace, is your sociopathic behavior could be the result of your environment. The old nature versus nurture conundrum. Won't you start, too? Uh, in the ensuing melee, uh, Cicely is shot and killed, saving Rosalind from an assassin's bullet. Cicely's death had a profound effect on everyone. No one could look at that fair angel and remain unmoved. A town was born that day, and without anybody saying it, we all knew it would be called Cicely. Not that any of that mattered to me. All I knew was I'd lost the only woman I would ever love. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. As for the others, well, Kit, who always was of a metaphysical bent, gave up banditry and became a preacher man. Mace looked inside himself and discovered he had a heart after all. Abe and Sally, who had a natural gift for hospitality, took over the running of the salon. Put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are Mary and Kafka never did tie the knot, but they stayed together. She went back to Prague with him, and as my understanding, the castle was her idea. Rosalind continued to mourn Sicily. She disappeared into herself until she was nothing more than a shadow. One day, she vanished altogether. Rumor has it, that Rosalind went to Europe and finally died in Spain, fighting the fascists as a member of the Lincoln Brigade. As for me, I never came back till now. Why now? Well, you see, today is Cicely's birthday. She would have been 100 years old. And that is almost the end of the episode. He goes, visits uh, her grave, and then there's kind of a useless coda with uh, Rob Moreau, uh, Dr. Fleshman, going to the, the bar and sort of 
imagining everything that's happened in the bar. Uh, didn't need, they could have dropped it there, but uh, they didn't. But overall, I really like this episode for a few reasons. One is I kind of really love what they did with um, creating a creation mythology around the town that's not too far back in the past. Um, so that they did a, they were, they were deaf with, um, uh, kind of splitting the difference between something fantastical and something true. And you can kind of get the sense after the story is going to be told a few more times, how that's going to change, you know, how the characters are going to become more heroic or, or, uh, more devious, more evil. And I really enjoyed that part of it. I, um, you know, I'm kind of a, history nerd so that part really spoke to me not necessarily the history of the town but sort of how history is 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 shaped and 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 changes over time um the other thing i like about this episode is the love story at the center is very matter of fact um it's not a lesbian love story it's just uh two people that come to town and do good and, and 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 live the lives that they they wanted to and Part of that might be that, you know, when this was written, that was, they felt that that was what they could do, you know, as as overtly as they could uh, not get away with, but that everybody involved was comfortable with. By that, I mean the the sponsors and the, uh, the network. But I'd like to think that it was just a choice that this was a story about two people that come to town that love very, you know, love each other and did all these things for the town. And, uh, so those are my two big takeaways from this episode. I love the characterizations. There's some things I didn't talk about, you know, like there's a lot of analogs hauling and, and, and Marie, you know, sort of have the same relationship here as they do in the present. There's a lot of nice little touches here and there, but overall, uh, I thought it was a very strong episode. I would have cut the coda, but otherwise uh, I really liked it. What say you? Um, Sarah, why don't you go first? Um, yeah, as usual, I thought that um, Fleischman was like the weakest part <laughs> yeah. of this. What do you mean? And the coda, like you said, and his hair. I mean, this is how he lived. <laughs> yeah. It's just ridiculous. And he's, he is a fetus. He yeah, is a fetus. Chris in the morning is a fetus. Even Holling is kind of a fetus. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, this is... This is like such a prototypical exi- like example of northern exposure in general, which is that it shouldn't work for me. I shouldn't like this show. I should think it's really cutesy. There are a lot of things about it that annoy me, like and ongoing characters who annoy me. But it has so much heart and also humor about its characters, and I think it understands that sometimes they're annoying. So I started out watching this and I was like, I don't know. And I don't like flashback episodes. And this is going to be stupid. And then by the end of it, I was like, sniff. Even (laughs) though the woman playing Rosalind, I thought was not good. She didn't live up to what other people thought of her. No. For sure. Like she looked the part. She was very, you know, angelic. uh, But she did not. Do you mean Rosalind or Sicily? Oh, I meant Sicily. Sorry. Did you mean Rosalind? Uh, I did mean Rosalind, but both. Like Mm. there was a little... But, you know, I I sort of liked it that in terms of Sicily that it's like, you know, there's no there's no accounting for love sometimes. Right, and right. Oh, that's funny because like I, I, I bought Rosalind as sort of a tough as nails get results kind of, you know, broad. 
But, well, uh, no, I bought her. I just yeah. thought her lines were terrible. Like, uh, that. Yeah. I despise tyranny. Like, mm. do you know what I despise? Come closer. See, but like, that's <laughs> the part. That's the part of when I say like the part of like the story that at some point stopped becoming a story and started becoming a myth. Yeah, those are yeah. the lines that I thought worked in that in that regard. That yeah, that you know, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but e- even still, like the whole of this episode and of the show in general, usually. Um, is greater than the sum of the parts. And as usual, I just find Holling and Tambo just completely charming. And they're so cute. And they end up getting together at the end of this. And the guy, the guy who played Ned, old Ned, he's yeah. also the mean neighbor on Home Alone. Oh. I think. And he was Jay Gatz's father in The Great Gatsby, which is a pretty terrible adaptation as they mm-hmm. tend to be but he had a nice scene at the end talking to sam waterston's nick Carraway. Mm. um yeah i really enjoyed this i was like oh yeah i remember this one and i feel like i may have skipped it when it was on in the afternoon rock block because i was like oh brother frontier days nope <laughs> but i'm really glad i got to watch it again and visit with these characters uh it had been a really long time and i think this is everything that the show does really well and the emmys agreed i think this episode one a bunch oh did it oh okay yeah good um it's funny that you picked this dave because this is like the comedy version of deadwood <laughs> yeah it's like the sweet dramedy version I, of i did of the have same that kind of yeah like, i was you know, thinking along those lines too the rough camp that was not mm-hmm. fit to have a name and all so forth and then yeah. you know people trying to improve lives and civilized people and stuff um i i always liked joe anderson who played Rosalind. i think i i like her but i more to the point i think the casting of the two of them just looks wise they're so period looking like, yeah that's true they are i mean the hair does part of it but like she joe anderson really looks like you know a raw boned pioneer woman <laughs> i don't mean that as an insult and the other one looks like you know she's just been photographed on a or daguerreotyped or something um, right. So with her heart shaped face. Exactly. And, yeah, and the lips really and like gishy. all of totally. it. Completely. So, um, yeah, it's it's sweet and charming and it's it's it does well to have these outsider characters at the center of it. I think that's what often brings down other episodes of this ilk on lesser shows like 90210, which we will discuss in the next episode, but the, <laughs> briefly, um, where it's like every every character that you know from the main cast has to be a version of themselves. Right. But like, And they all sort of are, like you said, but they're not, no one that we know other than Ed slash Ned um, is really taking up that much airtime. And so that's, that's what gives it its interest, I think, is that it's the outsider's story. Um, so yeah, this is a great pick. All right, shall we put it to a vote then, Tara? Sure, I vote yay. And Sarah? Me too. All right. Northern Exposure, something from season three. It's called Sicily. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot gray cannon. All right, now we're ready for number two. Number two. Number mm-hmm. two. Who's taking number two? Me. All right. Um, all right. So some will say Mr. Show, but for my money, News Radio is the most unfairly overlooked comedy show of the 90s. Uh, I was obsessed with it when it was on because I would have been obsessed with any sitcom that starred any kid in the hall. So you can imagine how happy I was when it was smart and weird and so, so funny. 
Um, it shared DNA and personnel with the Larry Sanders show. And when it brought on guest stars like Ben Stiller, John Stewart, Janine Garofalo, B.B. Newirth, Paul Gleason, John Ritter, Wallace Langham, Patrick Warburton, and David Cross and Bob Odenkirk of the aforementioned Mr. Show, they actually played characters. The joke wasn't just the fact of them being there. And I don't think I knew anyone at the time who watched it. And even when it was in the A&E afternoon block, it was at such a weird time that only the then relatively few people in the early 2000s who worked at home could have gotten exposed to it. Every episode is up for purchase, unfortunately, on Amazon. And if you haven't seen it but you like funny shows, treat yourself. Um, at the time that Arcade aired, which was October 23rd, 1996, Dave Cole of this very podcast mm. and I had been seeing each other for about a year. And while I definitely previously identified with apple-polishing brainiac Lisa Miller, played by Maura Tierney, who remains one of my most beloved actors to this day, no thanks to ER, uh, this was the episode that made me extend the analogy. I was like Lisa, and I was seeing a guy so much like Dave Foley's Dave Nelson that everyone involved was named Dave, and for that reason, it is a sentimental favorite of mine. Um, so as any episodes do, this one starts at a staff meeting. Beth is being awarded the title of Budget Cutter of the Month for coming up with the idea of getting rid of a sandwich machine that the radio station has to rent, which seems weird, but never mind, uh, but that no one uses. Everyone agrees this is a good idea, except Bill, who missed the announcement of this big change because he was on the air reading the news. Yeah, I'd, uh, I, I don't see what's so bad about the sandwich machine anyways. What's so bad about it is that they change the sandwiches in it like once every leap year. Oh. Has anyone ever actually eaten one of those dried up old leathery specimens? Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? A uh, sandwich machine by the elevators. Best sandwiches in the city. <laughs> They're an acquired taste, like a good wine or cheese. A sandwich needs to be properly aged. In the olden days, a country squire would age his pheasants for weeks before they were deemed fit for consumption. In the olden days, people died of tomain poisoning and blamed it on ghosts. <laughs> I now regret that I didn't pick dried up old leathery specimen as my intro line, but whatever. Uh, Bill always next time. <laughs> it's true. Bill goes to get a sandwich from the machine, and we get the first of the sound effect designers absolutely revolting <laughs> approximations of what eating an extremely old, extremely dry sandwich might sound like. <laughs> so when Bill finds out what's happening to the machine, he shifts into crisis mode. You gotta stop them. They're actually taking it away. I rescued as many as I could, but I just don't have enough change. And they're putting that monstrosity in its place. What monstrosity? All right, my good man, we'll have no further use for your services. This is the manager. And he's not about to let you take these poor, delicious souls from their home. <laughs> Please ignore him. Now, Beth, what's this about replacing the sandwich machine? I thought we were just getting rid of it. I know, it. just relax. It's another concept from the budget cutter champion. You're in good hands. Mm -hmm. You got a garbage can. I found this behind the machine. Oh. <laughs> Beth blows a bunch of dust off it. I'll take that. <laughs> Years. Hand it over. <laughs> gently. <laughs> gently. It's <laughs> exactly how Dave says gently to the dog, by the way. Um, we'll come back to the machine's replacement in a second. What you can't see is that the sandwiches that Bill's collected look sickly blue through their little plastic <laughs> triangle boxes. And as someone who won't eat lettuce and bread together because the vegetable taste makes me think of mold, I am crazy. Uh, uh, it's remarkably evocative. Bill later explains to Dave that he developed a taste for old sandwiches because when he was a kid, his mother used to make a month's worth at a time and leave them in a box to mature. Uh, later still, he tries to argue to Dave that his body needs those sandwiches for medical reasons. All right, I'll stop trying to be brave. I feel like hell. Well, maybe you should lay off those sandwiches. No, that's just it. I finished the last one at exactly 12.41 last night. Ever since, things have been happening to my body. 
Would it be impolite at this point in the conversation to just run away from you? <laughs> I think my system got used to its hourly fix of artificial preservatives. My body has started to age incredibly rapidly. <laughs> no, it hasn't. Yes, it has. We're running out of time. Look! He pulls off his hat and his hair is gray. You actually dyed your hair gray to convince me to bring back the sandwich machine? Yes, I did! <laughs> now do you understand how important this is to me? Only if you dyed all your hair gray to match. I did! <laughs> so, uh, it's all for naught. The sandwich machine I barely recall ever having seen in an episode before this is never to be seen again. So back to the beginning and the A-plot. Lisa's reading the paper when Matthew rolls up and asks if he can do the jumble. He can't because he's an idiot, but she finds it surprisingly hard too, which is why it's disturbing to her when Beth joins them and seems to be a jumble savant. Junior. Oh, another one. Yeah, yeah. Junior, Revamp, uh, oh, Tardy, and Lariat. And um, the manager said the pinch hitter would be a, oh, a change for the... Batter. <laughs> change <with> batter. <laughs> Dave. I'm very busy with this report right now. Sorry. It's finally happening. What? I'm getting stupider. Huh? The human brain starts to deteriorate irreversibly after the age of 30. Where did you hear that? I don't remember. See? See? Uh, Lisa continues finding evidence for her failing intelligence, including not being able to solve a puzzle on the back of the cereal box, but then she hits upon a solution. I just wanted to thank you. Oh, for what? Well, that sarcastic comment you made about the SATs really helped me put things in perspective. Great. So I, I assume you've come to your senses. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have decided to retake the SATs. <laughs> Good for you. I'm trying out for the drama club. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. There's an SAT prep course that's having a sample test tomorrow, and I'm going to take it. Come on, you know, the SATs aren't even an accurate test of intelligence. Ooh, that sounds like something someone without a low score might say. Ah, uh, look, uh, on the day I took that test, there were certain outside factors that adversely affected my performance. Ooh, yeah, that's what they all say, Dave. Well, in this case, it happens to be true. So I have some work to do. Uh, I would appreciate uh, being allowed to do it. All right. Well, you know what? Here's mm -hmm. your chance to show the world what you can do. Why don't you take the test with me? Because uh, that would be a ridiculous thing to do. Okay, I can see quite clearly that you're chicken. I am not chicken. And besides, if you're really worried about getting stupider, isn't it going to drive you crazy if I get a higher score than you? Dave, I'm worried that I'm stupider than I was, not stupider than you. <laughs> The Tara line, if there ever was one. Um, but if Lisa is regressing, she's not the only one because Beth's replacement for the sandwich machine has arrived. Ta da! No, 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 no. No, absolutely not. Oh, come on, Dan, hear me no. out. Hear me out. With a cash cow like this, we will not only save money, we will actually make it one quarter at a time. Okay, get it out of here. Get it out of here quickly. Okay, come get on. Out. With a pinball machine like this, the, well, the first revenue... of all, it is not a pinball machine. It is Stargate Defender, a classic arcade game from 1981. <laughs> the glory days before the 16 bit processors. Anyway, I think the idea is to kill off all the spaceships. No, the idea is to save the humanoids. That is, if the Alabian space guppies don't get to you first. <laughs> So you've played this game before? No. It just seems like common sense. Hang on. Were you one of those guys in high school who spent every day at the arcade hunched over the controls of a simulated spaceship with all the other pale, friendless virgins? 
don't be silly. Um, Dave, a true addict, fears his ability to resist and orders Beth to get rid of it, but somehow the machine stays in the lobby all day, and when Dave is the last one left in the office, he decides one game can't hurt. But as many of us have experienced at one time or another in our lives, one game turns into another, and before he knows it, it's morning, he hasn't slept, (laughs) and because his girlfriend is crazy, he has to try to go take the SAT. It goes about as well as you'd expect. Lisa breaks the news. Well? Well, uh, I scored the same as I did in high school. Terrific, terrific. You feel better? No, Dave, I don't, because your score, on the other hand, dropped 120 points. So what? So what? So what? At this rate, by this time next year, I'll be spoon-feeding you pudding while you watch Barney tapes. (laughs) And that is not what I want out of a relationship. Listen, that that test was not an accurate assessment of my abilities, all right? There 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 were certain outside factors... That had an adverse effect upon my performance. Oh, Dave, outside factors. Give me a break. Okay. I stayed up all night playing that damn video game, all right? I, I, I am exhausted, and that is why I blew the test. Well, I am very, very disappointed in you, Dave. Which is exactly what my mother said when I did the same thing before the real SATs. <laughs> Stargate Defender kept me out of Stanford. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 not sorry. What's the big deal about Stanford, hey? You know, who wants to be in California in the winter? The winter in Wisconsin is the best seven months of the year. (laughs) Uh, Having let himself down again, Dave decides to have it out with his old nemesis, only to find that Beth belatedly followed his orders and replaced it with yet another novelty, a fortune-telling machine. He is horrified, but Beth gives him a quarter and a moment alone. I wish I was big. (laughs) (laughs) So, this episode establishes Bill's love of very old foodstuffs, which continues through future episodes. And because Phil Hartman, may he rest, was an actual genius, somehow every time he digs into one of his disgusting old sandwiches with such enthusiasm and gusto, it's funny all over again. Um, the episode also gives us a fun plot line with Lisa and Dave that's not too schmoopy. A surprise cameo by a not-yet-anybody Lily Sobieski. Uh, a window into Dave's conflicted relationship with his Wisconsin youth. Always entertaining. Um, it's not perfect, like so many episodes. It's light on Catherine, which, of course, is why Candy Alexander ended up leaving the show. But it's also light on Matthew, so it evens out. Um, but as <laughs> I said up top, this episode is special to me above all because Lisa and Dave have never been more Tara and Dave than they are right here. And the proof is that because I'm Canadian, I never took the SAT. And now I kind of want to just to see if I would beat Lisa's score. That is my submission. Uh, all right. Well, you are correct. I do love video games. <laughs> I have yes. stayed up all night playing them on many occasions. This month. I would score lower than you on SATs. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else we got? Uh, I don't like to eat old sandwiches. You don't like the cold? I don't like the cold. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a great episode. Bill McNeil's, when he has a moment in an episode where he has, you know, a great hook, it's super great. Like, I know we did... I forget the title of the episode, but the one where he he's basically the he political Mark card- Russell. Yeah, Mark Russell <laughs> in the office. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a great episode! And this one's sort of on par. His, his storyline's on par with that one. Here's a guy 
had a weird childhood. <laughs> he's, you know, now he's got this, this this love for old, stale, disgusting sandwiches like his mom used to leave out on the porch for him. It, it eventually gets fleshed out into his mom was super mean to him in general, like verbally abusive. And that's what he thinks of as love, too. But we'll we'll get there. It's not there yet. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to like in this episode. Not Not much not to like. I mean, you're right. Uh, minimal Matthew. Uh, he's there just to set up a couple things for other people. Um, no Joe in this episode. He has one bit where he where they show him how he, he aged sandwiches to pass them off. Yeah, to, to and Joe's Bill. Joe's a weird character. Oh, that's right. Joe's a weird character. He's also in the Quisp scene, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's he really adds a lot to an episode. It, he's weird. It, it, it just seems like some writers knew what to do with them. And some writers sort of just you know used him as a as a blunt tool to get somewhere. Um, the one you know, there's ones where he's um, what's the episode where he's uh, rewiring everything? That doesn't matter. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, but this episode very funny, and the sandwich thing stuck with me long, long after this uh, series ended. And the video game part, um, <laughs> I enjoy that they used a real video game. I know a lot of people don't know it as Stargate Defender, but it actually was called Stargate Defender. Uh, it had a couple names. I think it, I think it was actually Defender Two, and they renamed it Stargate Defender. The sound effects are genuine. That always annoys me whenever they use generic video game sound effects for a video game that actually existed or you know in the real world or mm -hmm. at least something you know if they're playing you know dot gobbler man and the sound effects are for like asteroids or something like that yeah. bugs me to no end or when like there's a kid playing a, a a modern day console and the soundtrack is obviously the 1982 arcade background sound effect where there's 17 <laughs> yeah. games playing at once you know no video game today goes bleep bloop bleep bloop doesn't happen anymore anyway so kudos to the you know whoever is in charge of that foley and props um that was great um but yeah i laughed my ass off the first time i saw this still a really funny episode news radio still like at the top on my list for uh great sitcoms that never really got their due uh, I think it's one of the top ones. I know, um, you know, I think it's up there with like uh, cheer, what a lot of people think of as cheap, like for cheers. Yeah. I th th this is sort of like my cheers. It's a little yeah, bit more. I think mine too. Yeah, it, it, it's more towards my sense of humor than cheers ever was. I appreciate cheers um, for its structure, you know, and, 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 and for its um, smart writing. But News radio adds that level of absurdity that I really enjoy, and certainly the black sandwich that Bill McNeil ends up eating uh, is is a testament to uh, to that value system. Sarah, um, I'm wondering in the analog universe which character I end up being. I think I might actually be Bill because of my love <laughs> yeah. for institutional stars. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Although um, Beth laughs a lot at that change for the batter pun. I, that might be a little bit you also. Yeah, but <laughs> I, what is she wearing? I, I mean, know. I know it's not her fault no. with the belt and the belly vest with the... Oh, boy. I mean, good for her, but yikes. Um, this is really fun to watch. That hallway scene where um, Lisa is trying to figure out the difference <laughs> between the two pictures and everyone is walking by and pointing things out. Like, yeah. I watched it twice. Back it's in so cowboy times. <laughs> that was great favorite line of the episode i think um yeah it was just really fun and funny and there weren't any like the actual like scenes at the sat place i think probably could have been 
gotten rid of yeah. without yep. missing Agreed. much. Because it's like, is that your mom? Or what, like, uh, not yeah. funny, not mm-hmm. good acting. Um, but overall, I think this is like, it's very tight. It's very, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it has like a lot of sort of peaks and valleys of like things happening and laughs and then absorbing of information that it's just very well paced and put together. So yeah, good times. All right. All right. So that sounds like a yes vote. Yes. Twas. And I'm going to say yes too. So. News radio season three, episode four arcade. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great cannon. All right, that means it's time for the third canon. Sarah. Uh, yeah, fun's over, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I am submitting uh, season one, episode 17, Mushrooms. Sadly, it's not about mushrooms, no. psychedelic or otherwise. This one is best known as the one where the future Lieutenant Van Buren's sons get shot because a teenage drug gang soldier carried out a hit at the wrong address because he can't read cheery material Mm -hmm. um but it's a great vintage classic law and order it has all the ingredients starting with that gritty filmy look and feel that remind me of the city of my youth which is all dirt and danger and how perfectly new yorky that part of the motive for the shooting derives from a real estate deal gone awry like of course it did yep it also has a roster of excellent new yorky guest stars including tom busmalis martyrosian as defense counsel James McDaniel is the intimidating drug kingpin, drink, drug kingpin Michael Ingram. Whew, just said a mouthful. <laughs> and you can hear part of why his attitude, uh, his charisma is so awesome in this teeny clip right here. Ned K? He won't mess with my thing. <laughs> this man is wearing a maroon velvet mm. blazer while delivering <laughs> that line. Yeah. That's, some, that's some sack right there. Um, that kind of suffers for a lack of visual. Uh, nobody does a fuck off and I won't be telling you twice face quite like McDaniel. Uh, but Ned K is wearing a sweater vest. He borrowed from B Arthur in most of the scenes, (laughs) even in a Kevlar vest, he would not be messing with McDaniel's thing. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the guest core also includes Regina Taylor as an early suspect's mother and the deliverer of one of the great interrogation room slaps in procedural history. Mm -hmm. Let's hear the clip. Maybe if we knew exactly what you was looking for. We want to know who pulled the damn trigger. Because it sure as hell looks like your boy did it. Tell him, Ronnie. No. Share pushback. You think you can play this fool game with me? Tell him. I left the gun to Diz. Who's Diz? His cousin. What's he look like? He's got some design cut in his head. Like a checkerboard. I don't suppose he's sporting a lot of gold teeth. Fort Knox. (laughs) Can I just say, um, there should be a YouTube video of that to teach new English 
learners the expression haul off and slap because that's what she did it was like <laughs> yeah the, she the like back took turned. a wind up she i know did. that was amazing yeah. And I feel like now, like, if that were, scene were in SVU, there would have to be a whole thing with the cops who were like, don't hit your kid. And like, it's 1991. People are going to hit their kids. Yeah. And also, that's why she was brought in. They're like, we can't hit the kid. Right. But your mother's going to slap you silly. Yep. Um, and of course, Ms. Merkerson, as the bereaved mother, here, she's disgusted by the detective's questions that imply that her son was at fault for his own attack. We need a motive. Was Gregory involved with... With what? Drugs. Wednesday and Thursday nights, Saturday mornings, Gregory plays basketball. Monday and Tuesday nights, he got choir practice. Gregory ain't perfect, but he ain't into no dope. I can guarantee you that. Look, Mrs. Winters, no offense, but sometimes you can't tell these kind of things. Maybe you can't, but I sure as hell can. Look, I know it's not easy. Easy? Mister, I got a dead baby, a boy who may be crippled, and a supervisor who tells me that going to the morgue and to the hospital is considered personal time, and now you saying maybe Greg... Gregory was on drugs? Maybe he brought this on himself? Get out of here. Best. Yeah. It's also got your prototypical spasms, oh, oh grievy, what a world indignation, <laughs> as we hear first when Captain Cragen explains the episode's title and we all take a drink. Mushrooms. What? That's what they call them. It's a video game. You shoot at the centipedes. Mushrooms get in the way of the bullets. Video game. That's hysterical. And here's a longer aria when Grievy takes his frustration about the situation out on Robinette. Ronell gave Diz the gun. Says Ronell, let's be realistic here. Juvenile court judges may not like kids with guns, but they like a clean case and they want a motive. Who says the little son of a bitch needs a motive? Max. What the hell's a motive anyway? He took my seat, bam. He's looking at my girlfriend, bam. I need them shoes, bam. <laughs> Classic breathing. his chops on this case. I understand. Whoa, I can apologize for myself. Only I don't feel apologetic. I'm fed up. You put together a strong case. We'll put him away, Sergeant. I know, I know. Why am I picking a fight with you? You know what it is, Paul? This is 13. The boy in the hospital, he's 12. The baby's in the ground. And our emergency rooms are up to their ears with kids on the wrong end of stray bullets. And this little scuzz is laughing at us because he knows he's a juvenile and we can't get him. Think you got all the issues in there, Max? Perfect. Have another take? <laughs> another thing about free trade. <laughs> and it's also got District Attorney Adam Schiff bringing the sugar-free bleak as usual. He engineered the death of an infant, for heaven's sake. People will be outraged. People will forget this outrage as soon as the next outrage hits the front page. Rhyme and Simon. <laughs> 
Almost as foxy as young Chris Noth in his leather coat from back in the day is the determined righteousness of one Ben Stone. You think that makes it clean? Look, I... An 11-month-old baby died because of your sins, Mr. K. If you want to talk about his testimony... What did you do with the $300,000? You didn't cheat some yuppie banker. Mr. Ingrams, he doesn't sue. He hires a hitman. You haven't mentioned any incentives for cooperation. No? Well, how is this? If your client doesn't start talking now, I'll tear his life apart. Real estate boards, clients, skeletons in the closet, light a day, guaranteed. And that's not even mentioning when he leverages Mr. K's testimony later using a pocket watch. <laughs> Love that guy. Many of the elements of a first season Law & Order, like the twangy supplementary soundtrack and pointed cutaway shots to the jury, got bred out of the show in later seasons. And unfortunately, so did crazy Michael Moriarty <laughs> and his disarmingly subtle and gentle cross-examinations. I love Sam Watterson and Linus Roach, but the courtroom revelation that these boys got shot because another boy had slipped through every possible social and educational crack, so to speak, is delicate work best handled by our man from Michigan, as we'll hear in this clip. <laughs> this is the correct address. Would you read that out to the court, please? 315 Jameson Place. Right. And would you read this? Objection. Relevance, Your Honor. It goes to the factual elements of the crime charge, Your Honor. I'll allow it. Just read the police report. You don't have to read the big legal words. Just give us the easy ones. Mr. Howard? You can't read, can you? <laughs> Violence. You can't read anything. No. I left you lots of music to talk over, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Even defense counsel after that revelation is like, oh, shit. Like, everybody in the courtroom is just like, This is not. horrible. Um, and I actually thought that kid was really good, and he never acted anything again huh. this is only his only role um i well, tried Sarah, to pull he clips never, he of... never learned to read so <laughs> well yeah well all he had to say was no and then right. yeah and then he was done um i tried to pull clips that had like all the sort of juicy quotes that you would remember that would like tip you that this is the episode that we're talking about like i have probably seen this episode 25 times mm -hmm. And I was like, I would forget to like make notes about where to pull clips because I would get sucked back into it. It's not that I don't know every single thing. I could <laughs> act out all the parts, including Profaci. But that's why it's up for um, that's why it's up for the canon. Yep. And uh, I admit that I gave, I had a couple of other choices, but I wanted to get a Ben Stoner in there <laughs> for Dave's vote. A Ben Stoner. What do you guys think? <laughs> Oh, yeah, this one is so good. I mean, the Merkerson-Taylor one-two punch, as it were, so great. It, it makes me regret that they couldn't find a role for 
Regina Taylor to do like in the regular cast because I, I love her so much. I've loved her since I'll Fly Away. I should have talked about that in the uh, Program Parole Board episode. Oh, yeah. Um, also featuring the guy who ends up playing the like really skinny, weird looking um, lawyer. I think he's like the ends up being the lawyer in court. Uh, yeah. But he was also on that show. And of course, so was Sam Waterston. But anyway, uh, that that's beside the point. This is such a classic Law and Order, like the police work of it in the beginning and like questioning all the kids and like trying to be cool. And then the the what it like the tiny detail that the whole case turns on in this case, not being that tiny, but that he can't the kid can't read and all of the like heartbreakingly tiny amounts of money that are being talked about and like the wolfishness of Michael Ingram's like all of it is so perfectly first season law and order. Like it makes me so happy. <laughs> like it makes me feel, I have such a feeling of comfort watching this. Cause as you said, I've, I'm sure I've seen it 25 times too. And um, the other detail that I just wanted to mention is that when you're talking about the rough neighborhood where they live, which is at 99th in Manhattan, <laughs> that's like three blocks from a giant Whole Foods now. <laughs> like that neighborhood has changed yeah. kind <laughs> of a lot. Yeah. Like that's nine blocks away from where we lived and we did not live in a bad part of town. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah, it really this, I think <clears throat> this was like right at the beginning of when it started to be much more like vacancy mm-hmm. in the sense that it is more family friendly. Like yeah. when I was growing up, especially but like this is right around the time when it was it was starting to be like a known problem and they were starting to work on it but it was still like almost every neighborhood was kind of bad yeah mm-hmm. like murray hill there were like muggers you're like what the fuck it's murray hill <laughs> yeah and the de- and the details of how they style the kids even like there's one point where the kid one of them is looking through mug books at the station and like they should his, he's still got his scarf on and like it's got a hole in it but like not a really giant hole just enough uh-huh. of a hole that it's a hole it's not a brand new scarf they just went and bought a kmart like it it a lot of thought went into the show there's a reason it's a lifelong classic and has the stature that it does and uh yeah great pick great great example of the form dave cole it seems to me that in the first season or two like you could have told somebody that like crime beat reporters wrote on this show you know or at least mm-hmm. you know like consulted or something it has that kind of feel to it you know it has a feel of like one of those saturday edition you know stories about some crime that happened two years <laughs> yeah. ago and the guy's writing all about it yeah um something that they as sarah said they you know they kind of bred out of the show after a while as it got faster and 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 more you know clippable and and you know they they lost characters Named Ben Stone, who were great, and replaced them with other <laughs> characters. <laughs> um, I loved Ben Stone Named era. Serena Sutherland, who weren't. I loved the Ben Stone era so much. I know McCoy is like ninety nine percent everybody's favorite, but fuck that. I don't know Ben about Stone that. all people the way. Love ben Stone. I've never met anybody outside of people talking on this podcast <laughs> who are in into Ben Stone more oh. than McCoy. But. Come out in the comments. Well, then it's a good Stoners. thing we're all on the podcast together. Yeah. Yep. Um, I really love. Uh, I really love his take on it. I really love something about Jack McCoy when he gets angry. He's like when Yosemite Sam gets angry. (laughs) It's just not believable. And he's like huffing and puffing. It's like the only thing that's missing is like the cartoon steam doesn't come out of his ears. Mm -hmm. And he's like doing his little, you know, child stamp. I don't like that part of him. Uh, But Ben Stone's great. Um, I also love the fact that the actor that plays Ben Stone's kind of loco pants. Mm -hmm. So that when you realize all (laughs) the, yeah, kind of. You're talking about the future prime minister of Nova Scotia. (laughs) Oh yeah. 
Didn't he do something in Nova Scotia too? Didn't Probably. He try to run for premier or something like that, or the mayor or of like the mayor of the ocean in, around Nova Scotia or something. Or he was living in like the northernmost part of of Manitoba and running for both president of the U.S. Right. and prime minister of Israel. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, sure. So and using the word Zionist a lot, oh. which is almost always a guarantee of yeah. mental illness happening. Mm. Anyway, continue. Um, so knowing that kind of thing, you know, uh, only only adds only adds <laughs> to the enjoyment. Um, not I, and I also didn't mind George Didn's. Uh, as much as uh, other people, yeah, thank you. Um, as much as other people seem to, I, I get that he's not as good as as Briscoe Inferno because who could be? But there was something um, about him that I found like much in the same way that the writing seemed like it was could have been beat reporting that he just seemed like that kind of guy. I mean, yeah. the the centipede, the, really centipede the... the centipede discussion aside. Because that was really forced, but he just seemed like the kind of cop that was like, oh, fuck. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that kind of like rang truer than say, you know, some of the caricatures they've got on the show in later years. Yeah, he, um, I used to hate those episodes mm-hmm. and sort of would endure them until you got to the whatever order part mm-hmm. in the courtroom, but he has really sort of grown on me. I mean, there's hardly any of him, yeah. which helps. Yeah, when, yeah. when did they lose him? Grown on me. Season. The end of season one, right? It was just the first season? I think he, yeah, he because was... he had been told that it would be like, Zunza PD, and yeah, he wasn't. Right. And so he was like, fuck you, I'm going to have a great film career, which obviously totally happened. And <laughs> I'll see you in the future on the Buffalo set sitcom, Jesse? Is yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah, that's right. And then they killed him off with extreme prejudice. Yeah, as yeah. well, that's the one thing, you know, for all the terrible Didn't things. Didn't even that... use him, like, no. got a stand-in. <laughs> Right. Oh, it was probably Paul Sorvino, like, in a half bald cap. Like, I'll just do this first before I take over, okay? <laughs> like, at least Soretta, like they... a foot taller. Right. But at least Soretta, oh. they, like, he got shot, but he survived. Like, yeah, we'll have him back sometime, maybe. I don't think they did, but they left the door open. Zunzo was like, bye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a good episode. Um, I, as Law and Order got goofier and goofier, and, like, now if you were to, like, put one of these episodes up against like a current you know uh sv uh su svu um episode like you wouldn't even think it was the same show anymore it's so weird and cartoony and over mm-hmm. the top now and certainly law and order had its moments like i don't i wonder how far into the series was the first courtroom step shooting oh yeah and how many there actually were throughout all the series because i got a Bet it's double digits. Oh, by now. SVU's had at least twenty. I, yeah, I okay. swear to God. Okay, I know Claire was involved in one of right. them in Mothership. So there's two things happening. One is if you liked Law and Order from the start, if you're you know you actually watched it way back then, what a great excuse to revisit it. Here we are. We're mm-hmm. telling you, Mushrooms, good episode. Revisit it. If you have never seen early Law and Order, uh, at the very least, go watch it as a compare and contrast exercise with what you're watching now. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it it will seem slightly familiar, but like from a whole different whole different universe. Well, I mean, it's way more like Homicide in this yeah. in the early going, yeah. for sure. And that's what I liked about yeah, it. Yeah, that's the a start. compliment. 
And that's sort of why I ended up falling out probably around season five or something like that. Like it just got to be like, all right, it's just getting, you know, again, after like the third guy who got shot by the grieving mother outside the courtroom, I'm like, all right, you know, like, what is this Saturday night live? Can't you guys end your skits any other way? And, uh, but here, you know, they're still writing good cop stories and that's what this show is about. And the courtroom stuff is great. And, uh, you know, you kind of forget, like, it sort of was a novel concept at the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, like now you're like, yeah, okay, it's a cop show. It's a lawyer show. They put it together. But, you know, the format was kind of neat and kind of like, ooh, new and shiny. And um, even though that part of it has worn off, a good story is a good story. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to say yes. Oh, me too. Absolutely. All right. Law and Order, uh, Original Rays, Season 1, Episode <laughs> 7, Mushrooms. You're hereby inducted into the extra hot, great canon. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're back next week with a, uh, what do we got next week? Nonax. The Nonax. That's right. Three user submitted Nonax. Are they, in fact, the worst episode of that series? Find out next week. Thanks, guys. I'm going to recite the three parts of the Hegelian dialectic, and then you are coming with me one way or another. Thesis. Rosalind. Antithesis. Please, Rosalind. <gasps> I can't. Synthesis.